and I knew that people would attack me for being a mother and how dare you risk your um, life. Well, I was doing it for my children to create a better world for them and for other children too. Welcome to the Rise of the Ageless Tarmen. Today I have a special guest, Liz Ferrish from BioViva. And Liz, before you will introduce yourself more, uh, I want to start. First of all, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to start with uh, acknowledging you. Uh, although I only know you from the BioViva's uh, video, media content, uh, you will tell me if I was right in my uh, acknowledgement, okay, <laughs> in the end. So I want to thank you for being a, a stand for this uh, industry, that it will uh, become more tangible and for being uh, courageous and for uh, being a inspiration for people to start uh, work on uh, aging. So thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, my name's Liz Parrish and I'm the CEO of BioViva. Um, that was absolutely right. And, and I am probably most notably known for being a, a patient advocate and a speaker for the life sciences at large in consideration of treating biological aging as a disease. In 2015, I became patient zero uh, when I came forward to take the first two gene therapies to treat biological aging. Uh, aging uh, and the mortality uh, based around it is uh, kills 70% of the global population. It's the number one killer in all the leading nations in the world, and it will be the number one killer in every country by the year 2050. It's the greatest unmet need for the largest population, and treating aging itself uh, will save the globe trillions of dollars um, in care and keep people working and healthy longer. So um, thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, I, I agree with you. Uh, if I look at the Alzheimer Association website, uh, only Alzheimer will be in, a, I think they write it in a 2030 it will, or 50, it will be something like 14 million people, which then I looked and Michigan is only 9 million people. So yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, I don't know how like we can keep, uh, with, keep going without doing anything and yeah, we, we really can't afford to. So with, with all of these uh, people aging and dementia being a, a big category and Alzheimer's being one of the most difficult subsets of dementia, the rising number of these people suffering with these diseases is really astronomical. And when you consider that next year, in the year 2020, there'll be more people over the age of 65 on the whole planet than 
than under the age of five. And we know that countries um, that are leading countries in uh, medicine and intervention have low, low birth rates. So vastly, these uh, children are coming from various countries that still have large birth rates. So the five-year-olds go on to be 10, 15, 20, 25, and the 65-year-olds get pro progressively sicker. So a huge population, a huge percentage of the 65-year-old population are suffering from aging diseases and they go on to get sicker and sicker as they age and the under five-year-old population go on to be the health care payers well now we have more people over the age of 65 than going into the system to help pay for the health care so solving this problem of aging and, and creating healthier bodies is just a financial mandate uh, and then of course it should be a humanitarian uh, mission as well because these diseases uh, take a huge toll on people's lives, uh, their sense of security, uh, their finances, and, uh, and obviously, number one, their well-being. We do not want people to suffer a day longer than they need to. Yeah, exactly. So you started, like before you explain about the BioViva uh, sci science, you, you had a podcast when you got into biotech, Amara. Uh, yeah. 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 What, what was the valuable things you gained by uh, doing it? Right. So when I had been working in the advocacy of the use of stem cells for regenerative medicine for two years, from 2011 to 2013, when my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and um, I essentially went looking for cures for kids because when he was in the hospital um, being diagnosed and us learning how to treat him, type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disorder. It, um, the immune system attacks the pancreas. It's not like type 2 diabetes that is age-associated or weight-associated. It literally is an autoimmune disease. It's in more in lines with Crohn's disease and rheumatoid arthritis. But um, So he's insulin-dependent immediately, and I'm in the hospital, and I had spent two years researching stem cells, and I asked, well, where are all the treatments? And they said, oh, that's experimental medicine we don't do that and I I just couldn't believe that I couldn't believe that we're so risk-adverse that you know there were other kids in that hospital that had conditions much worse than my sons that were dying and we let people die rather than giving them the ability to try experimental medicine which absolutely sounds like the worst case outcome dying or trying something uh, I just couldn't believe it and I thought you know what I really need to do is I need to take the knowledge that I have already learned about stem cells. I need to expand in this area of genetics because the benefits of stem cells come from their genetics. It comes from the different genes that are upregulated in the stem cells. So if we could actually control this at the genetic level, we could potentially cure childhood disease. And all I was looking for was uh, cures uh, for kids. And I got on the internet and I started looking and I found... Uh, uh, genetics, and I found an aging conference that was Aubrey de Grey's Sens Foundation conference um, 
in Cambridge, UK, and I flew off to that because it had the most advanced speakers in genetics. So why did I do a podcast? I did a podcast because I was going into a new area, a new area that my brain was telling me this is the place to go. It's Stem cells are great, and but understanding the mechanisms of why they work is all genetics, so let's look at genetics and find cures for these kids. And I had a huge learning curve. So, Gil, actually the reason that I did a podcast is to help understand what was happening get a better sense of what the technology was and also educate the population because the truth is is that if you don't have a grassroots movement of education people are not going to move to your side of the argument they're not going to support you because they don't understand what you're doing and with when you talk about genetic modification in humans which is what we're embarking on now you're talking about a big subject that that might make people really nervous if they don't have basic understanding so the podcast allowed me to talk to the top people in the industry learn from myself for myself and also teach the population at large about what was happening in this area the the podcasts were called the biotrope podcast I, I only put about eight out but I think I have about eight more that I, I never uh, mixed down uh, into podcasts because then I became very busy with with starting BioViva it's a good it's a, I agree with you that it's a good idea if you really want to uh, speak to the top people of the of the industry and sharpen your knowledge and how you can affect more i totally see see what you mean i oh yeah media and journalism are crucial to us moving forward and yet you have to realize a lot of it is a lot of journalism especially in the US is really bad they constantly spin things in a negative way to try to get more people reading but some people just read the headlines and it, anyway I, I've been really disappointed so being part of uh, doing my own podcast and working with people who just help spread the information and then people can look further into it to make a decision for themselves is just so important yeah that's what I like on uh, LinkedIn by the way that it's a lot more positive uh, conversation based than other uh, social media platforms yeah exactly like you know I mean I I don't know why but so much media um, out there that just comes out is just false and even our company has had media written about it where even the, they'll say oh we tried to contact the company well if they tried to contact me they the contact number is my cell phone and so they would have contacted me directly and I would have known because my phone would have rang and a lot of them are written by it says they're written by science writers but in fact all they did was read another article about us that wasn't written correctly and then they copied that article I mean it's it's not that's not science science is going and pulling up the the scientific papers that are the basis of what we do and why we do it so I have been very um, unhappy with uh, media and, and podcasts are just a way to get people on there. That's why I want to talk to you. They're, they're a way to get 
get people on there so people can then listen to what a person's mission is and then go do their research. Really, don't take my word for it. Go do your research. Look up the scientific papers and, and learn about the science. And, and then you'll see exactly why we would be doing what we do. Uh, okay. Um, like, well, one of the things that it's hard in uh, biotech is to really... Like a lot of top scientists are arguing, arguing between them. They have arguments, so <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a hard topic to cover. Anyway. Yeah, you, you know why um, that is. You don't want to pay attention to that either because what happens is people, uh, even scientists, uh, fall in love with their hypothesis and then they argue about it. So one of the, you know, arguments that we got was, you know, will telomerase induction, let's just introduce telomerase induction. So telomerase is an enzyme that is coded by a gene called HTERT. And what telomerase does is it extends the caps at the ends of your chromosomes called telomeres. And why we would be interested in that technology is because when cells divide the telomeres, the caps at the ends of the chromosomes get shorter and shorter and when they get really short the cell becomes senescent and a senescent cell is an old cell that throws off inflammatory markers and um, keeps your body from healing as you get old it's why it's one of the reasons that you look old when when you think of really old person skin those are senescent cells and so the reason that we would want to keep cells more youthful is so that they don't go into this senescent state and they stay active longer but here's what happens so let's look at this in science so you'll have one scientist that agrees that lengthening telomeres is a crucial part of treating biological aging. And everyone now knows it is. Even Aubrey de Grey is working with a company that's, that is one of the net effects of their therapy is lengthening telomeres. And um, so we know we people who are in the aging area know that lengthening telomeres is probably a crucial part of treating aging until we have really high technology that we no longer uh, rely on long telomeres. <clears throat> but then there'll be some other guy who, who um, will, will think that, you know, til lengthening telomeres is going to cause cancer or something along those lines. And what happens is, is they both fight about it and re instead of getting behind doing the human studies that shows whether or not it is beneficial to aging and whether or not um, it causes cancer. So we do not believe that it causes cancer and all of the human cell studies and the animal studies where telomerase is induced, it does not cause cancer. It may in fact protect against cancer. And so what happens is you get these people into this debate of it will work for aging, it will not work for aging, but what we really need is human evidence. So where BioViva comes in is we're analyzing the data on patients who are actually taking these treatments now and seeing if it affects biological aging because the point is not to be in an endless 10-year debate going back and forth in, in, in a scientific debate on whether something works or doesn't work that's never been tried. That's ridiculous and that's not science. That's just people arguing. So we're trying to actually vet out whether these technologies work in humans. Don't fall in love with a hypothesis. See if it works, and then we can end a decades-long debate. 
So yeah, don't get mired down in somebody saying that won't work or that will work because what happens is we kind of fall in love with scientists and we're like that scientist is so smart and they're saying it will work or they're so smart and they're saying it won't work. And that's just kind of like voting for for candidates that you don't really know what they're going to do when they get in office. <laughs> kind of a bad idea. What we really need to do is see if the technology works or if it doesn't work and that's what we're here to do. We're, we're here to not get into a debate, just see if it works in humans or if it doesn't. So can you explain a little bit about the product itself? I, I, I looked at the, your website. It's, uh, you have become a, a bioinformatics company. Yeah, exactly. So let me explain to you how that works. So I'm a patient advocate, and my goal is to help patient get, patients get access to technology. And it turns out that BioViva, as a U.S. company, just couldn't treat people with gene therapy without going through a long regulatory process, which is... Which is you know, responsible for potentially killing people if you have a, a therapy that works and only a few people can get access to it and it takes 15 years to get a drug to people. That just, that was not a type of system that we wanted to be part of. We wanted to be a part of an advanced access system or a right to try, but these therapeutics did not fall into those categories. So what BioViva did is we did a pivot and now we are a bioinformatics company and I'll tell you how that actually helps us solve the problem even faster. So right now we're, we're uh, in November we'll launch a repository for people to store their data but what we're doing is we're building a HIPAA compliancy and GDPR uh, compliant uh, system and we are going to handle the data, the patient data so here we are actually uh, meeting our goal of giving patient access from a partner company of ours called Integrative Health Systems. So Integrative Health Systems is not a U.S. company. It is a company that brokers deals with patients and doctors or clients and doctors, I should say. So they also do not treat anyone with gene therapy, but the medical doctors associated with our network uh, do. And these doctors give all of the data, the pre and post data from the patients to BioViva. And Integrative Health Systems facilitates the introduction of the, the client to the, the medical doctor. So BioViva now is exponentially meeting on its goal of being a patient advocacy company because patients now can get uh, access to treatment and now already several patients are going through uh, this platform to get access to regenerative gene therapies, gene therapies that are based on their ability to regenerate aspects of, of aging cells and the aging process in order for us to clarify and analyze how well these therapies work in humans. Therefore, getting them to the regulatory system faster and getting them uh, expedited routes to human use. Are there any new exciting insights that you see? So with the so integrative health systems just recently opened and there there have been many patients uh, through it already and so basically what we have is basic safety data so in the first three to six months you're just gathering safety data the the patient is doing well and um, and we are seeing you know no negative uh, changes in their blood work now the actual 
more efficacy data will come over one and two year periods of time. That's when that data starts to roll in. So right now we don't have the efficacy data, but we definitely are uh, month by month getting more and more safety data on patients. So you'll want to check in with us in the next 12 and then 24 months uh, to actually hear uh, how the, the therapies are working in several patients. And uh, in 2015, I was the first patient to take a dual gene therapy, and I am no longer the only person who has taken a dual gene therapy. Now there's many people, and we will be uh, looking at their blood work, their images, uh, their biomarkers over the next two years to see how they how they look compared to mind and what sort of consistencies we see. And hopefully over the next few years, we'll have, you know, 100, 200 of these patients and we'll have a, a better scope at where these drugs should actually be taken through the regulatory system. So when you go to run a drug through a regulatory system, you pick an endpoint. And either you meet that endpoint or you don't. So the regulatory system has a 94% failure rate on drugs. That's why investors don't like to invest in drugs. And that's why the mostly the only companies that get drugs through are the already huge pharmaceutical giants. So what we're hoping to do is to create the, the next millionaires and billionaires in the biotech industry for doing the right thing, uh, hopefully having cost-effective drugs that more people can afford. But by coming to us as a platform, companies can run their drugs, uh, and have their drugs analyzed on platforms. We can actually see in 10 or 20 patients, instead of seeking an endpoint, have it completely open-ended. Where does your drug work? Where are the most benefits? And then when they take this uh, drug to investors, they can say, well, they already have the data of 10, 20 patients, and here are, here's where the drug works. So then they know where to run the drug through, through um, uh, the actual regulatory system. If you pick the wrong endpoint, you're going to fail, even if your drug might have been beneficial for a different endpoint. So we are going to create a platform for biotech companies to come to us get their first patient data because we have patients that are interested in innovative treatments. Of course, the drugs have to be at the point where they have a safety profile, they have all of the animal data done, and they have some human cell toxicity data, and then the, our doctors have to decide whether they can use them in humans. But if they do find them as a valuable candidate, we can then uh, grab patients from our network who are candidates for that type of a therapy and help expedite drug development. We want to help expedite the success of every biotech company that has a, a good idea and and that that is that's the importance of working together because as a single company we can't solve aging it's going to be a multi-combinatorial therapy you know it's it might even have some side therapies that people need to do once a year in order to re-stimulate parts of their body and so this is this is a, a really a a crowdsourcing, a biotech sourcing um, platform. What I expected, because um, we are going now for a direction of dr drug development that we didn't uh, do 
gene therapy really changes the pharmaceutical model. And I don't think that pharmaceutical companies are bad guys. I mean, they were on the forefront of the initial treatments. I think they just don't, they, they're having a hard time understanding what to do with therapies that a patient might only take once. And unfortunately, the wrong thing is being done with those therapies. Um, right now, the four gene therapies that are passed through regulation come at an enormous price because the, uh, the drug companies are trying to validate that a therapy should be an enormous price if it's a cure because it saved you from taking drugs uh, that were less effective and they're, they're extending your lifespan by curing your disease. And I think this is the absolute wrong way to launch gene therapies. It really is a way almost to ensure that people can't afford them and are going to have to take those pharmaceutical drugs that are less effective and, and have many damaging effects whilst looking for a side effect of actually helping you. So for instance, you might take a statin uh, to lower your uh, blood cholesterol levels of your LDL cholesterol, but in fact, uh, statins also increase your rate of getting type 2 diabetes and dementia. And so that's a bad effect. So looking at a gene uh, that could uh, create a uh, you know, that would actually help defend your body against atherosclerotic plaques that lead to heart disease would be the better way to go. But it really disrupts an industry, but that industry needs to change and it needs to ensure that there are cost-effective drugs. There's there's a new drug out just in the last uh, couple weeks. It's for uh, spinal muscular atrophy. This is essentially a, a disease that babies are born with and they live for a matter of weeks. And without the gene therapy, they die. And it was just uh, marked in at being 2 to $5 million. Um, and it's, it's so insulting uh, that I just, I just cannot uh, participate in this type of mentality. Uh, in an offshore platform uh, program, we could probably uh, give that type of a therapy for uh, 50 to 150,000, which still sounds like a lot, but it's a fraction of a cost of $5 million. And it's heading in the right direction. So it, I, I, I just feel like the whole system right now is a little bit disingenuous. It's really, the, it's really struggling with itself because the pharmaceutical area is a trillion dollar uh, industry and what they have to realize is that by treating things genetically and making cost affordable uh, uh, drugs they will be in business forever if they did that um, everyone is, suffers from aging so if you had a cost-effective therapy that was only hundred and fifty bucks um, US dollars you could treat the whole planet you would still be the the biggest company in the world and so I think that some mindsets really have to change and it's very disruptive and um, I'm very disappointed right now with the first four gene therapies that have been passed as a one-time treatment for a cure that people really need but can't afford I think they are not built to focus on such research because their main growth was in the 90s and 80s where molecules were the main main way to discover new drugs. They, they are big companies and for them now to do the real 
organization, it will take time. I think they maybe we'll see a shift where they are becoming more and more as uh, investors for like uh, phase three and four of the clinical when companies are showing yeah. a, a Therefore, like, you know, what we'd like to see is biotechs don't have to sell out to the pharmaceutical companies if the pharmaceutical companies uh, don't want to keep up. But it, it is definitely a problem with mindset, and we need to fix that mindset. We are happy to work with any company uh, to alter their mindset because all of the information that comes out and people just read this and buy this and they're like oh this is so fantastic they'll say well you know people invested a lot of money and they need to get paid back people um you know, uh, it cost a lot of money to develop these drugs. You know, they have a bunch of reasons why something costs $5 million. It, it just, it's not going to sell at $5 million. So what it's really going to do is it's going to show that gene therapy is too expensive and that the world isn't ready for it, but it's not actually giving it a fair chance. So uh, there was a, there was a drug called Glybera. It was for lipoprotein lipase deficiency. It was the first past gene therapy in the EU. And it was it was actually pulled off the market within a year because there were not enough people who could uh, actually pay for the $1 million price tag. So instead of, I mean, can you imagine just throwing out a bunch of gene therapy because people can't spend a million dollars? How about making it a quarter million and, and treating a bunch of people because their insurance companies will will cover that? Maybe their healthcare system will cover that. It's, this is just, you don't pull a cure because you set it at too expensive of a, a cost it le if you're going to throw it away, make it free. You know, it, it, it just, our mentality of making money off of doing the right thing is, is just, it's a painful reality that we need to face and we need to stop doing it. But uh, even if it's not for gaining a profit, still like the phase three and four is very expensive to... To do it like how can a biotech company well how they can do it is uh using our platform and knowing that their drug is going to work and then investors are going to get behind that and and then creating a cost-effective drug on the other side they will make their money back if their drug is that good if it was good enough to get through phase three, of course, then again, there have been drugs through phase three through the FDA that then have been pulled from the market. But, but gene therapy is different. So if it is that good, it will sell. And what we need to do is we need to work towards these bigger markets. So at bigger markets, we can scale. Even uh, integrative health systems can scale. Today, if we treat one person, it could cost 50000 to $250,000 or more, depending on the therapy. But if we treated 10, it becomes cheaper. If we treat 100, it goes down again. If we treat 1,000, it becomes reasonable uh, to what most people in industrialized countries, OECD countries, could afford. And that's the, that's the type of mentality that we need. And, and those companies uh, that are going through the regulatory system could make a lot of money over the first year or two because people could actually afford the drug so therefore you'll get more buyers. Yeah, now I got you. Like a company has developed 
developed a good product, gene therapy, and because people cannot afford it in the first year, because it's too expensive in the first year, so they need to uh, stop creating it. But you say, we'll make it first uh, affordable for everyone, and there is a big enough market. Yes, exactly. So they and can so, keep going, going. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the important thing. So the the first gene therapies to come through were for orphan diseases. They were for diseases that not very many people have, and it was considered reasonable to work in a new technology in those conditions because it affected less of the population. I think that's a really great thing uh, that some uh, conditions are being looked at that have unmet needs but I don't understand why we don't have an expedited route for the biggest unmet need which is which is biological aging this this should be because this is where the market is and so now more companies I was just at a, a gene therapy conference uh, the ASGCT in Washington DC more companies now are starting to look at heart disease uh, age-related age macular degeneration, which is essentially makes you lose your sight as you get older, and things like that. So the, this market is opening up now. Um, my fear is that unless we have intervention, these companies will continue to look at a million or multi-million dollar price tag, and the world just cannot afford that. You, let's talk about the experiment you took on yourself and. <laughs> Tell me, what was your family thinking, first of all, when you did it? And did you tell them you're going to do it? And what no. was... No? no what I, was, I did not tell anyone in my family that I was going to do it. Wow. What, what was uh, going through your mind before you did it? So for two years, uh, I was all you know. I had already been looking at this technology from 2013 to 2015 when I started the company, and I brought in the first investment by going to ten investors. Uh, only one of them invested in me, and saying that I had just spent two years uh, looking uh, to in, to find investors for this type of technology. And everyone said, all of these big investors said, if you could actually prove it works, I would invest in it. So I said, my idea with BioViva is that we'll launch the company, we'll use the first money to make the first gene therapies to treat biological aging, and I myself will take them. As the CEO, I will take them to prove that they're safe. Um, one of the gene therapies was uh, fullostatin, and it had already been through safety and efficacy for muscular dystrophy. What it does is it increases your muscle mass. So it's called a myostatin inhibitor, and to make that really simple, myostatin is a protein in your blood that regulates muscle growth, but it becomes detrimental as you age. It actually makes bodies become more and more frail. So as people age, they're more likely to fall. And actually, uh, this just happened in my own life. Um, I just lost my my best friend, who uh, whom I've grown up with and known since we were 10 years old, just lost her mother, uh, who essentially uh, had a fall, and um, she died. And uh, 
it, it was tragic and I was, you know, I, I, I came to the hospital and was there for the last couple hours and it was just so sad to, to watch her lose her mother, you know, whom she will never see again. And, um, and just lots of pain and grief and, and terrible. And this was a woman that I had known since I was 10 years old uh, as well. And this is what frailty does. And, you know, the thing is, is that was my best friend's mother a candidate for gene therapy? Yes, she was. But she, just like a lot of other people, felt like she had time. Oh, Liz, I'm interested in that technology, but not now. I'll wait till I really need it. And here's the thing. We have this mentality that we have time that we do not have. Okay? Um, we are so risk adverse of trying something new that it's literally killing us. So anyway, one of the gene therapies was the myostatin inhibitor, so it increases muscle mass. And the other gene therapy was, it was the first time anyone had used it in a human. It was the telomerase inducer. It was the gene therapy that lengthens the ends of the caps of your chromosomes, therefore giving your body more healthy cell divisions uh, that is uh, associated with not only lifespan, uh, but health span as well. And so the, we found an, I found an investor that got behind me and we made the gene therapy. So at that point, I was doing talks for the company. I started to do um, some uh, conference and uh, online uh, um, talks. And I felt really committed that this was the way to go, that getting the first human data would open up uh, this area of technology that people would take aging as a disease more seriously and most importantly to me that by treating biological aging we were going to find cures for kids uh, not only my son but a whole bunch of kids that you know sit at, in the hospital with with no option and die and so that is still my goal is to find cures for kids and treating biological aging is the number one way to do that because it has the most amount of test subjects and the diseases of childhood often are treated by regenerative gene therapies. I mean, they could be. They could actually be cured by the same treatments that cure biological aging. So, um, so then uh, it took months and months to have a therapy built. And um, I worked with a researcher and I worked with a medical doctor to verify and validate how these two therapies would work together. We made our best guesses, and we thought that this was the best way to maybe save billions of people's lives is to get this first uh, data. Uh, I was doing blood work at the time. I did not tell my family anything until after the therapies. I did not want to be part of the stigma of that a mother should not risk her life to make a better world. I'm really tired, tired of this belief that, you know, uh, women and children need to be protected and that men should go out and, and spearhead all of the initiatives because in fact they were not. There was no man doing this. And to tell you the truth, um, I'm really proud of both men and women, but in integrative health systems, a lot of people who are interested in therapies are aging women, and they want to pioneer a better world uh, for the future. So women are great warriors. I know that you know that in Israel, uh, but the whole yeah. world needs to know that. You guys are advanced in, in all sorts of areas and mentalities that people are not here. And I knew that people would attack me for being a mother and how dare you risk your 
um, life while I was doing it for my children to create a better world for them and for other children too. And so how that looked was it was a lot of reading. We did a lot of reading. Uh, we were really busy. I, I, I enjoyed doing um, talks because I was kind of giggling in my talks because I knew that we were about to do the first gene therapy to treat biological aging. And then on the day of, uh, you know, I started taking immune suppressants, uh, suppressants weeks in advance, which was actually overly cautious. And I wasn't feeling very, you know, immune suppression is not a very uh, great thing. So I wasn't feeling really that great. I was having a hard time sleeping. And, you know, we really felt like we were making history, Gil. I mean, I can't explain it any other way than that. The whole thing was video recorded. Um, uh, there was a moment that I stopped before I took the therapies and I texted my kids. I told them how much I love them, um, just in case. Uh, and I definitely had all of my uh, affairs in order as far as my uh, bills and things like that on my side. But we felt like the, the science showed that this would, would have a great outcome. Now, the only thing that I can complain about is that even though we did see great uh, biomarkers move and if we have if we see the same movement in benefits to health in 10 patients that I've had we'd have the most powerful drug on the planet but of course I wanted magic <laughs> and I didn't I didn't see the the full body age reversal that I would have liked to and so you know after the fact um, you know, I, I wanted to see, you know, like magical changes, but, but we did get um, some, some really powerful changes. Again, it, with a, a one-time uh, therapy, the, the changes that we saw were, you know, it, it's, it's better than the benefits of, you know, taking five uh, pharmaceutical drugs, for sure, with, and then with, without the side effects. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, we wanted definitively, wow, bam, you know, we've reversed aging in every way and you can see it. And I do believe that I've had regenerative effects over, effects over the years and that's what we would expect with a gene therapy is we wouldn't expect a bam, you're just magically uh, uh, look 20, we would expect regeneration over time. What, what was the measurement you looked for? Yeah, so some of the things that we looked at were triglyceride levels, and I had a 50% reduction in triglyceride levels, which would mean better heart health uh, by all measures. Uh, I had a increased insulin sensitivity, so that, that, would, that, that makes sense. So when you increase muscle mass, you increase insulin sensitivity. And so we definitely uh, saw that. So that would be that the indication you would look for with that is something like type 2 diabetes. We saw increased muscle mass, which is great for treating frailty because frailty really does kill people. I'm telling you, it just happened in my own life, and it, and it really does happen when you see older people who need to walk with a, a stick or a walker. This is a very dangerous, dangerous time for them. Um, we saw increase in telomere length uh, in my white blood cells. So this is something that we've seen over time increase in length. Uh, it increased, 
I think in the long run by over 15 years over the last three years and that could be beneficial but remember they can only really accurately measure my white blood cells so you know um, we don't know how all of the cells in my body are doing and we're actually looking at technologies that can work with biopsies to see uh, where else in my body that's happening. Uh, again, the increased muscle mass we proved by MRI images and um, I went when I did my first MRI image, I was working out regularly. When I did my second one, I wasn't. I was literally flying and jet-lagged, and I was flying all over the world to talk about uh, this technology and the benefits and why governments should open up access to us to be able to use this in patients. And we still saw an increase in muscle mass, so that was really great. So. Those are the main points on the, the changes that we saw in my blood and uh, body mass. Okay. And do you have a, a genetic uh, mapping kit? Yeah, so right now we're, we're going through a little bit of a, a growth uh, spurt on the genetic mapping. I think we're going to have some new products come out in the next few weeks, but one of the initiatives that we've taken on the bioinformatics side is encouraging people to look at their data. We want you to learn about your genome. We want you to learn about your health risk. We don't want you to get become afraid of that because we're working on therapeutics to actually target that and we want people to feel um, uh, like they know more about themselves than ever because how the future is panning out uh, you will in fact uh, need that information to participate in the type of therapeutics that you're going to want in the future yeah I think uh, well well, I'll ask it uh, before I'll ask you a question. Uh, you think this industry of uh, genetic ma uh, mapping, uh, there, are, there are a lot of big companies now like uh, 23andMe and, and such. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and that actually that's a great thing. So we're we're going to put up a repository for multi-omic data that will launch in November, and you can use the data from any kit and bring it to us to help us, you know, solve the problem of biological aging. Twenty three and Me, Ancestry dot com. These are all big players in the area, and lots of people are engaging in those kits, and we're really excited about that. You see the change in the medical research because uh, the industry is not uh, new. Like it's been a yep. few years. It's it's quite it's relatively new, but now there are some fa how, how many five years. It, 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 it's actually really changed how we look at medical research and so whenever you share your data and hopefully you share it for research purposes we want people to have their data and understand their data and we have the ability for people to not share with us if they don't want to but most people get involved with BioViva because they want to share that data and only by sharing that data do you really affect the world so by keeping the data to yourself you know a little bit about yourself but when you share the data with research that's where your 
really, um, it's like being an organ donor, you know, so in the U.S. people can choose to be an organ donor and it's put on your driver's license, but most people choose not to do it, but it's really an amazing life-saving effort uh, to, to actually share your organs if, if you're passing away, but in this case, you get to live, uh, share your data, and um, by sharing that data, it creates new innovations. So right now, we, there's a lot of people that are upset, unhappy about uh, sharing their data because they, they don't want to share their data because uh, of privacy issues. But with medical data, this is uh, really, if you want to see advancements, sharing your data is what helps expedite those advancements. So we really encourage people to share their data. And besides uh, like the gene ma mapping, you collect more data, uh, blood tests or anything else? Yeah, so on the, so on the patient side, um, on the integrative health system side, that is the, the patients who have gone through the regenerative gene therapies have given blood, they've given imaging, uh, they also get a, a, a bunch of tests. They get a whole genome uh, kit. They get methylation tests that they take before and after. They may or may not do telomere testing depending on the therapy that they take. And so we make sure that they're sent out a whole bunch of kits so that we can analyze uh, the data on that. And plus that is accumulated with their blood work and their imaging. Now for Page, uh, clients who just want to use the repository over time they will have the ability to also upload their blood work and things like that but we don't sell um, uh, BioViva doesn't sell access to um, uh, regular uh, blood analysis uh, patients would ha or clients would have to go through a medical doctor to get that but we hope to be able to hold all of that information in the future and for patients we already um, can do that patients of the integrative health systems. Our time is almost uh, up, so I'll ask you the last question, two last questions. One is how hard was it to get funding in the beginning? And the second, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you are not from the Silicon Valley. Have you sought to move before you started to Silicon Valley? No, I... I... I, I actually did go down to the Bay Area and uh, talk to investors, but I I think that uh, I, I I would never move my company to Silicon Valley. It just costs too much money, and I don't know. You know, investors continue to invest in rent in that area, and I think that they have have changed a bit since then. But you you want to be uh, an efficient company. We we don't need. Uh, to be a, a, a titled a Silicon Valley company. I don't think that that's necessary. What's necessary for us is to get our job done, and now we're, we're actually doing that. So getting money initially, um, I got lucky and, and brought the, the first uh, money in based on a really good idea that was innovative, and we've continued to get money from private investors, um, and that has been very beneficial to us to, to keep going. And now we generate revenue. So now we're testing our platform, and we, um, we're probably looking to bring in one more 
now big investor that gives us the benefit of uh, security of their background. And so we're, we're basically looking for one big investor now who can finish off uh, the platform so that we have the type of advertising that we need and we can launch the bioinformatics meaningfully. Uh, but again, we only take it private investment. We've, we've never done anything with VCs. I even saw once somebody said, oh, they pitched their company to our VC firm and we didn't like it. Well, that, that's not possible. We don't, we don't actually uh, look at VCs for funding at any point. Um, we, uh, we only look for private investment and we're looking for that crucial investor who has the, the, um, the clout uh, to help us uh, finish off uh, what we need to do to get through the first step of this company. And again, uh, by doing the right thing, we're already profitable. So even without investment, we're here for the long run now. Uh, but with investment, we could be, of course, doing much better. Um, and Seattle has uh, an ecosystem for uh, biotech companies? Or oh, Seattle is a great place for biotech companies. Again, we're not a traditional biotech company. We have a different way of doing things, but we have a, a great network here. I've got a lot of friends in the industry, and you'd be surprised how many longevity-based uh, companies there are in the Seattle area that might be have been considered a, a Silicon Valley uh, type uh, company, but they're actually located here. Um, Seattle now is becoming very, very expensive, although to work in as well. So it's becoming one of the most expensive cities. So, you know, how we have to solve this problem of early stage companies is <laughs> number one, ensuring that they're not in locations that most of the investment is just going to go to rent and uh, paying salaries because it's impossible to live in those locations. So I think that scouting out the next um, quote Silicon Valley in a reasonably priced location so that biotech has an opportunity for the money to actually go into the science instead of rent and salaries is a crucial crucial next step okay Liz it was great conversation I was glad to talk to you Uh, so. oh, yeah. Oh, and I want to make one last plug. We're doing research and development at Rutgers University. So look for our new viral vector development to come out in the next couple years. And we should have a paper or so out in the next year. Oh, just wanted to plug that real quick. Yeah. Well, we didn't have time, but I wanted to ask, <laughs> to ask you how you co collaborate with academia. So <laughs> you, you managed to pull it. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for, for meeting with me and thank you for doing the podcast and sharing information to the world. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Gil.